1: I love your podcast, this
0: is gold, this is where it's at. What's up podcast fam, happy Monday, hope you had a great weekend, super pumped to be releasing this episode today with the one and only Jamie Hinlan, the founder and CEO of Nonstop Management, she works with the likes of Jason Derulo, Maroon 5 and many more. Before we jump into this incredible episode, please take a moment, share this episode with a friend, subscribe to us at Bits of Gold Podcast. This story is just incredible. Jamie decided to start her own business after a health scare pushed her away from corporate life and made her realize what she really wanted to do in making a change in her life, having her own roster of writers, producers to work with, and she's done just that. And now she has an amazing growing business that she absolutely loves. Her story is inspiring it is filled with so much adversity and equally so much resilience. There are so many lessons about moving forward after living through tough, tough cards that life threw away. So with that, many bits of gold in this episode. Enjoy this amazing episode. Awesome. Well, Jamie, thanks so much for coming on the show today. So happy to have you on.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me on.
0: So I was telling you just just before uh, we jumped into this that I don't even really remember how I came across your profile, your story, was browsing on Instagram, and I'd say I guess it was a little bit lucky because I came across your story, Rolling Stone did an article on, on you and was so inspired by what I read and was like, I need to get you on the Bits of Gold podcast to share your story. So so happy we could make this happen today.
1: Thank you. Me too. I appreciate it.
0: Awesome. So... I usually like to take these back to the beginning, wherever that is for you to start these episodes. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Maybe just to give context uh, from like a high level, you know, one thing that really caught my eye about your story, you have this near death experience and pushed you away from the corporate life. I'm sort of paraphrasing here from what I read in the article, but Mm -hmm. it sounds like made you really rethink and like recalibrate your entire life. And Just was like so fascinated by that. And I'm very excited to hear more about your story today.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, hmm, I don't really know where to start other than I grew up. I guess I could just give you the whole.
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: The whole thing quickly. Um, I grew up on Long Island, New York. I had a great childhood, great teenage years, great college experience. I went to Syracuse.
0: Me too. Go Orange.
1: Yay. (laughs) And then I knew, I knew early on, I think that I wanted to work in the music business. It's something that I always wanted to do. So, and I knew finding talent and discovering talent was something that I, you know, and developing talent was something that I loved. So I was going to figure that out. I wasn't really a scholar or anything. So I went to school, I graduated, I got myself an internship through a friend and started working my way up in the corporate world in in the music business I started at Warner Brothers Records as an intern and then I quickly I guess around like six months got a job as an A&R assistant there which is what I wanted to do I wanted to be an A&R so I ended up working for the president of the company so I started there started making my way
0: and I don't mean to cut you off for those that are listening. They might not know what, what what's an A&R.
1: So an A&R is someone, who, it's called artist and repertoire, but really it's someone who discovers musical talent and kind of just signs it and develops it and helps with the creative process of making records. Mm, so, okay. so I started that and I had moved out. My parents were really supportive. I had moved out from New York to LA right after college. And when I was 26, my dad passed away from a heart attack unexpectedly, which kind of just rocked my world. And I was sober. I'm sober. So I, when I moved out to LA, I got sober about a year after I lived there. And so when I was nine months sober, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And it was just like, I mean, I had never really dealt with anything bad in my life other than getting sober and, and, and some drug addiction that I had overcome. So it really rocked my world. And my whole life, my My biggest fear was someone in my family dying. Like mm-hmm. I was always afraid to lose one of my parents since I was a little kid, which is weird because like, I feel like a lot of little kids don't really think about that. But when I was younger, I just like I had massive anxiety about it. So when it came true, it was just like, oh my God.
0: Like, Did you know anyone like growing up who had lost a parent or something like that?
1: some people but none of my closest friends but it's crazy because like when it happens it's like people come out of the woodwork and they're like oh my gosh you know I'm sure, I'm sure you know you're part of the team like you're part of the crew that like <laughs> yeah the team, but the crew that is or the club that is like you know young people that have lost their per- parents early so you know my dad's death was really traumatizing for me um, it was the first real real like hard, intense life experience I ever had. And what I decided to do, I was like, okay, I could either go back and, you know, get fucked up and be back in my dark place. Even though I was driving at work, I was, I was dealing with a drug addiction and I had overcome it. Or I can just keep it together and do it for him, do it for me, do it for my mom. So nine months sober, lost my dad, totally just, stuck with it, went to his funeral, just white knuckled the whole thing, felt every emotion, didn't really know how to handle it, but I just did. And what I did was I threw myself back into work. And at that time I had moved on from the record label and I worked at Sony ATV, which is a publishing company. And that's actually where I learned what I, what I really wanted to do and what my passion was, which is working with songwriters and producers. So I was, like, just starting my my new job when he passed away. And, you know, I was like, okay, I can go one of two ways. I can completely, like, fall off the deep end, or I could just go back to work and throw myself into work and really work towards this goal I have of being a powerful music executive and signing some really great stuff. And so that's the, the path I chose. So a month after my dad died, I went back to L.A., I left my mom, which was really hard, and my sister. And I just hit the ground running. And I truly, like, transferred addictions. Like, I just started working like a crazy person. So I was an assistant at the time. I worked my way up into a coordinator. And then, yeah, I literally just threw myself into work after my dad died. I couldn't think about anything else, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like music made me happy. I was, like, learning so many things. I was like, okay, this is how I'm going to keep myself okay. And then
0: like obviously grief alone is hard enough. Navigating that is beyond difficult. I'm curious, how did you navigate or how did you handle um it sounds like you were also what nine months nine months sober? Yeah. How difficult was that for you? Oh my god, it was um,
1: impossible. It was my biggest fear mm. coming to life. And it's funny when I was using and I was a drug addict. I was like using over things that weren't even that bad. I was like using over like a boy who didn't like me or something that didn't go my way. And then all of a sudden something like my biggest fear happens. And I'm like, you know what, I'm I'm not going to do anything. I'm just gonna feel it all. So that's what I did. Mm.
0: Like were there ever moments or low moments where like it took every Power within you to stay sober.
1: Oh my God, every piece of me. I mean, even like when I was at the funeral. I mean, my mom. Everyone was taking like a Xanax at least to like calm down. And I was like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm just gonna feel it. And mm. I felt it. And it was my biggest fear. And I was literally just like immersed in my worst feelings. And it just didn't kill me. That's what I learned at the end is that it didn't kill me. You know, those scary feelings.
0: It's the weird thing around losing someone is that I don't want to say nothing pales in comparison, but the bullshit sort of fades away and you realize that the small stressors in your life previously, and I'm not, you know, it's not just loss, anything that's real in life, like any, you know, you realize that, I don't know, the small things that you might normally sweat about or, um, you know, previously would, yeah. They don't
1: mean anything anymore. And it's funny, like my tolerance for bullshit, excuse my language, just kind of, It changed a lot, like my tolerance for people in my life that were toxic or just not worth my time, or like people that stressed me out. I was like, I don't have room for you in my life anymore. So, bye. Like, (laughs) couldn't it just put it changed my perspective on a lot of things.
0: It sounds like obviously, and I talk about this quite a bit on on the show. How sometimes the worst things in your life can become can lead to you know the greatest things or great assets, great strains, things of that nature. One term that like we've sort of coined is like post-traumatic growth, you know, so that comes out of it. I'm curious, what what other ways or things that you experienced from a personal growth standpoint after your dad's death?
1: I mean, I really just like learned how to put aside the things that like, to stop stressing over the things that weren't really that important. And also just like, just changed my perspective on everything. I mean, I grew up in so many ways really quickly, the friends stuff, the drama, the, you know, the whatever the stuff that would normally stress me out. I was like, Okay, no room for that. I quickly learned like what was really important and what was like not worth my time stressing over.
0: Mm. And that made
1: me grow up really fast. But it also made me feel you know, the growth I had was weird, because like it, it brought me away from a few of my friends and just most of the people I know, because I felt like I couldn't relate to a lot of people. Mm. Um, I felt like a lot of people couldn't understand where I was coming from. You know, my friends still had their parents, both parents. And I mean, obviously I can't even imagine going through what you've gone through, but you know, I started like just feeling a, not a certain way, but like really just looking at life differently, you know?
0: Mm.
1: And, um, taking everything, you know, making, making sure I didn't take anything for granted.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. And it sounds like you dove like really deep, like you focused all your energy into work.
1: Yes. So I did that and started growing in my career in a big way. I mean, I put so much time into it that like, I mean, I would hope something would come out of that. Right. So I was at Sony TV when I was, um, when my dad died and I actually met my husband there who I didn't know at the time was going to be my husband, but he is a songwriter that I started working with that was signed to Sony TV. And then I got pulled over to a company called Prescription Songs, which was another company that was a little newer and developing, but it was a bigger position for me. And my husband was actually signed there too. Wasn't my husband at the time, but he was a writer that was signed to both publishing companies. So I went over there I started working there and I'd say two and a half years into that job, which was like a bigger job for me. It was like, okay, you're going to come build this company's roster and sign and develop talent, which is like what I always wanted to do. The first few years of my career, the first five years of my career, I was an assistant to people who did that. So now this is my chance to do that on my own and find the talent that I love and sign it. So I did that and also looked after certain writers, one of them being my now husband. Mm. So I met him there. Um, We started having a lot of success together. We still weren't dating. um, But then at some point, I mean, he always was trying to date me, but um, (laughs) yeah. And I was like, we work together. We can't do this. Like just, you know, just leave it. And then eventually I was like, you know what? All these other guys I'm going after are pretty terrible. And this guy really cares about me. So I should pay attention to that. And at that point, we had become like best friends. Uh, we were having a lot of success together in the music business. And I pretty much ran his schedule and his life. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I should listen to him when he when he tells me he likes me. And I was at that point, once I made that decision, I was pretty okay with losing my job. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go tell my, my boss. I'm going to tell them that a client of ours and I are dating. And if they want to fire me, that's okay. I'm pretty sure this is the person I'm going to marry. So I told them they were cool with it, which was crazy. I mean, it wasn't corporate America. It was a little different. It was, it's the music business, right? So it's a little different, but they were really supportive. And so we started dating. And then I got pregnant about a year into when we started dating and I'd say, I think we got engaged two months after that. So things were great. We were so excited. We were having a baby, all this stuff. And then in my six month, oh, sorry, my fifth month of pregnancy, I found out that there were complications, massive ones, and that the baby was really sick. And then around almost six months, I lost the baby. So that was a huge loss as a woman, you know, to go mm. through. I had a pretty much fully, almost fully grown baby in my stomach and and almost had to just bury that, you know? So it's a different kind of loss.
0: Yeah. How do you navigate that?
1: I don't even know. I I was a mess of a human. It was the worst thing that ever happened to me. All I ever wanted was to be a mother and for that to be my first experience with pregnancy was frightening I was like how is this even possible (laughs) like Mm. dad my angel watching over me how did how did this happen you know because I would never wish that upon any woman like that of being pregnant and being so excited and then feeling the baby kick and then you know being so excited about what's to come and then all of a sudden losing that while in it's growing inside of you is just like it's as a human as a woman it's the most one of the most traumatizing things I think you could go through. So that happened. And my husband and I were very eager to start a family again, right away. Cause of course that, you know, that's what's going to make it better. Right. Mm. Um, What did I do? I threw myself back into work as always, which is what the only way I know how to deal with loss and grief. And then I found out that in order to have a healthy baby, I needed to do IVF. So I couldn't just like have a baby again the way most people have babies. I had to go through this process called IVF. And it was very taxing on my body and my emotions and my hormones while also being at a very stressful job. I did two rounds of that. And then I got pregnant by the grace of God with my daughter, Kate, because at first they told me it was going to be hard. First IVF round, I didn't, it wasn't successful. So then we did the second round. And by the way, working the entire time, like working, trying to get pregnant again, working, trying to get pregnant again. And I got pregnant with my daughter, Kate. And best news I had heard in a really long time. It was the happiest I had been in a really long time. And then throughout my sixth or seventh month, I I started showing symptoms that were a little concerning. Um, I went to my doctor. She told me that I was okay. I was really swollen. I was abnormally swollen. I couldn't really walk. I couldn't breathe well. But she told me I was fine. And then about three weeks before my daughter's due date, I went in and I was just like, I'm not okay. Like, I don't feel well. Please check my stats, like my vitals. Tell me if I'm crazy or if something's really wrong. Um, And she did. She checked him and she was like, wow, you might... You might actually really have a problem. You, I think you have a preeclampsia, which is basically when like the baby is making you sick. So she was like, we have to get this baby out immediately. So three weeks before she was due, they induced me and I was I went through labor. It was really hard for me because I was having trouble breathing. And then about 24 hours after I gave birth, my daughter, Every we think everything's fine. Finally, we have our miracle baby. And then they tell me that she's having trouble breathing and that she's fluid in her lungs. And so they need to rush her to the NICU and get that out. Around the same time, I started having trouble breathing. And basically, all of the fluid that I had retained rose to the top of my lungs. And I started essentially drowning in fluid and went into heart failure. So they kept telling me I was fine. I was like, I don't feel well. I can't really breathe well. And they were like, oh, it's just anxiety because your kid's in the NICU. Like, this is normal. And pretty quickly, we learned that it was not normal and that I had gone into heart failure. And I I had this very, very rare condition called peripartum cardiomyopathy, which hit, which like a thousand women a year get. And quickly, like the birth of my daughter, which was finally happening and was going to be the happiest moment in our life, turned into oh my God, I'm dying and I'm about to die. And my husband was back and forth between the NICU and the ICU where I was uh, for 10 days. And it was like, I mean, can only imagine how he felt. Was he going to lose his daughter? Was he going to lose his wife? Was he going to lose both? Luckily, we had a happy ending and we both came out okay. She went home before me. I got well enough to go home. But then from that moment on, I had to be in cardiac rehab, which most new moms don't have to do. It's Mm. like it was me and all 85-year-olds who had had like heart transplants or like, you know, really serious heart stuff.
0: How long were you in the hospital? I guess how the doctors save your life.
1: They noticed and they started paying attention to the fact that I was really saying like, I can't breathe. And I started like making that like like I started putting my like hand over my mouth, like signaling for an oxygen mask. And they put the oxygen mask on me. They rushed me to the, to the ICU and they started draining fluid from me. So that's how they saved my life. They got the fluid out. It was five liters. It was like five of these.
0: Oh my God. Out of me.
1: Oh. And they came in and they were like, you just had heart failure and you're lucky to be alive. And you can never have a child again, so don't even think about it. I was like, okay, okay, one thing at a time, just tell me I'm going to live and that my child's going to live. And they were like, we, you know, we can't make any promises right now. We're just going to monitor you by the minute, you know, by the hour. I was like, you mean you can't tell me that everything's going to be okay? And they were mm-hmm. like, no, I can't. And so I kind of had to go moment by moment. I was very depressed. I was crying every moment. Obviously, very hormonal because I had just given birth. But by day ten, they were like, "You know what? You're well enough to go home," and so was she.
0: Wow, it's crazy.
1: Yeah.
0: Who was with you in at the hospital?
1: My husband and my mom and
0: my sister. Wow. But
1: mostly my husband. Got it. Yeah. So I went home. That's a lot. The day before my birthday, I finally was able to be with my daughter and my husband together and out of that hospital, which was like so traumatizing. And it took me about eight months to recover. And then after that, I mean, I was still at my job at the the place that I had been thriving at and signing acts that were starting to be successful. And I had one act in particular that was really taking off. And like, I was almost dying while he was like taking off. And I was like, I've literally worked my entire adult life for this. Like now I'm not even gonna be able to like, enjoy it. And so during that eight month maternity leave that I had to take while covering, I really just had some thoughts that were just like, you know what, like, do I want to go back and work for someone for a tough boss? Or do I want to just do my own thing and be my own boss and just, you know, be with my daughter and make my own schedule. And I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could do that. And so I decided to do that. And I left the company I was at. It had almost been five years that I was there. I left the clients I signed, which was really hard. But I knew I had to do it for my family. I knew I had to do it for myself. And it turned out to be the best thing I ever did.
0: You knew you wanted to go back to work. Like, oh my
1: just,
0: god. Oh my like...
1: god. I, <laughs> honestly, what I should have done, like obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. What I should have done is taken two years off and gotten myself back to like optimal health, gone back to the gym, gotten in shape. I gained a hundred pounds during my pregnancy. Forty of that was fluid, but like I really had to get back in shape. And instead of like making that and being with my daughter a priority, I decided to start a company, which now I look back and I'm like, I should not have done that, but whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was your like it's a crazy experience. I really have no no words, but you landing yourself in the hospital, was it like complete like freakishly, that just random odds, like what mm-hmm. you had like no predisposition to I mean my,
1: my father died of a heart attack, heart disease runs in my family. I was very stressed during the pregnancy because of the previous pregnancy and also my stressful job. and also, I was not taking care of myself, like I wasn't eating healthy, so it was like the combination of all of that that like made that happen
0: mm. So in those in the eight months when you're recovering, what are you doing then on like a day-to-day basis?
1: Literally just three days a week, I was going to cardio rehab at Cedar sinai It was me and a bunch of like 80-year-olds. And then on the other days, I was just at home. I was at home and I was babying myself, getting to know my daughter. I couldn't really hold her or put her in the car seat or do things normally with her without someone being there with me. So it was really just like, coming back to life, honestly.
0: Would you say from like outside of just work, would you say anything else? Like did you go through any other transformation as it relates to the way you viewed the world mentally, how you were looking at like um you survived a very traumatic experience, I imagine. Did yeah. you na- like as you're navigating back in those eight months, what do I want to do next? What do I want my life to look like? I'm curious if there were questions that you were asking yourself on a repeated basis that made you sort of take shape or the direction that you ended up ultimately going?
1: Um, I just knew I was like, I never want to have to like go deal with a stressful boss again. Life is too short. I never want to be in an environment where I have to like ask if I can go somewhere or leave and take care of my daughter. I was like, I want to make the rules and I want to be able to be with my family as much as possible. And that was made pretty clear to me early on. I was like, whoa, what I'm doing right now is like not the move. I'm slaving away a job that isn't paying me enough money that isn't, you know, letting, you know, I have to like ask for permission to do things. And I was like, fuck that. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I'm done doing that. So you want to then,
0: take back your time.
1: Yeah, my time and still build something and grow in the business, but on my terms.
0: Yeah, so. I love it. Okay, so eight months later, you're like back. You're starting your own business at this point.
1: My doctor cleared me. He was like, you know what? You can like live now. (laughs) You can, you've completed your cardio rehab. You can go back to work. And at the time, a lot of songwriters were like, I mean, I had to tell the people that I work with that I was leaving and word started kind of getting out. And a few songwriters started asking me if I would manage them. And I was like, you know what? I'm sure I can do that. So uh, A&R and publishing is pretty similar to managing songwriters or so I thought. Sure, I can do this. So all of a sudden, I say yes to this person. I say yes to that person. And these are all people that I was very passionate about, that I was looking at at my prior job. But instead of publishing them, they asked me to manage them. So I took on a handful of clients. I started, I hired an employee. I was able to do that. I'm very lucky for that and then before I know it I'm managing like 10 people and I also have a one a one-year-old. I would say timeline-wise 10 clients and a one-year-old and I'm like, "Oh my god, I did not realize that I'm pretty much have 11 children now." <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know, like these were all people that I that I felt really passionate about and that I really wanted to help grow their careers and that I loved as individuals like I after my dad died and after all of these events happened I was like I'll never surround myself with people that stress me out or make me feel like shit or are not worth my time so what I did really was I grew a company of people that did the opposite of that of people that I just love being around you know mm-hmm. so picked a handful of clients and started developing them here we are three years later we've got five songs on the billboard hot 100 we've got nine songs at radio and these are often people that i started developing which is crazy.
0: what's that feel like
1: it's awesome it's amazing because it's literally my dream and that's what i always wanted to do and what i love to do is make a difference in songwriters lives and help them get to that next place in their career but it also is like i'm starting to get a little stressed because i'm like okay i also let the first three and a half years of my daughter's life go by where i'm just like buried in work. So right now I'm in a place where I'm really trying to just like regain some sort of balance and Mm. not make work, you know, the end all be all Yeah, pandemic has shown me that too. It's like, I mean, she's home. So, you know, I have to definitely have to be momming more than I normally would be, which is not a bad thing. It's just, I'm also a workaholic and I'm a working mom. So I enjoy that, but my daughter's not in school. So it's almost like forcing me to be with her more. And it's like, I actually kind of like this, but how do I balance that? Because I want to make a lot of things, you know, we're as a company, we're doing really well. I mean, we're at the beginning stages, but we're starting to do really well. And so how do I keep that going? And how do I keep my husband and my daughter happy? It's a big, big challenge.
0: (laughs) Are there like certain systems or... Like, how are you navigating that now? It sounds like you're using the word workaholic. Like, really, it sounds like you love what you do and, you know, you can't get enough of it from a work standpoint. I guess, like, how how do you navigate creating that balance?
1: It's so hard. It's, I mean, now with having a kid home, it's it's impossible. I mean, we have a studio office that we go to. So I'll leave the house for a little bit, do my work there and then come home and try and be as present as possible. But the thing about the music business and the the field that I'm in specifically, which isn't a lot of management is being available 24 seven. So I'll get home. I'll be like, okay, I want to put my phone down and then I'll put my phone down to be with her. And I'll miss like five calls that are quote unquote urgent. And I'm like, okay, like, so right now what I've been doing is I've been training my staff more to be able to handle things that, you know, I think they can handle that I don't need to be the sole person that's like overseeing. Yeah. I'm always overseeing everything anyway. I'm making the final decisions, but like I need my team and they know that, like, to kind of like be a little bit more supportive of like the the day to day stuff. So
0: that makes sense. When you when you first started the business, did you have any doubts that like or fears that the business wasn't gonna necessarily work? Like it sounds like you started at a crazy moment in your life. I had no and-
1: idea what I was doing, but I was just like, I know how to get hits on the radio. I know how to develop songwriters. I'm going to fucking figure it out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where does that confidence, I guess, come from? And like, it sounds like obviously you put in like the blood, sweat, tears, and tremendous amount of hours.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I learned. I learned every part of the business. I mean, before I started my own business, I was in the music business for eight years doing different things. So I had the confidence at that time. And I, I had signed a couple things that had started to do well. So I was like, you know what, I know what the fuck I'm doing. I can figure this out.
0: This was like your dream in college?
1: Mm-hmm. Even when I was younger. I mean, I loved music. I loved finding new talent. I loved turning my friends on to new music and like making them mix CDs and, you know, showing them oh, artists. They might not know. <laughs> so it's crazy I need to live my dream. But a lot of a lot of roadblocks along the way, but
0: <laughs> would you say, in terms of when you were navigating? So you've lived through these very traumatic experiences, significant loss, not once but twice. You know your own moment of of scare with with you know knocking on death's door. How do you view life now, having had all those experiences? I mean, I understand you know you've it's made you take a step back and you know, take control and of how you spend your time, etc. But like you've lived through a lot of shit at a, at a very young age. Oh do you ever God. look at that? And- I
1: feel like I've lived, I mean, my mother is 64. She's not been through most of these things.
0: Yeah. So what, what do you make of that?
1: What do I make of that? I, I accept what was brought my way. And I, I just feel a little stronger every day from, from that. I feel like I'm. I've got a little bit of a different outlook on things because of that. And it's okay, you know. I'm working I'm working through it. There are some good days, some bad days, but I just look at things very differently and I don't take things – like things don't phase me the way they used to phase me. Like the stuff I used to stress over, I could give a shit about, which I think <laughs> I kinda needed. Yeah. I and mean, need these things to make me realize it, but you know, I
0: don't know. Yeah. Really-
1: everybody else happy. I always wanted to make sure everyone was okay. And it's like, this woke me up to the, to the, you know, idea that like, that is not, that should not be my priority at all. You know?
0: Yeah. I know I referenced it earlier, um, like the episode, but just going back to it, just from my own experience, my own perspective, I feel almost like what I've lived through it's almost given me this like superpower. Um, I feel yeah. like I have this edge where, yeah, yeah, just like I'm I'm hardened, I'm calloused by the experiences sure. I've had. And it is funny because when my mom was on her deathbed, like days before she passed, I told her, you know, nothing bad. Like now that you're gonna pass away, I told her life's so unfair. And um, you know, now that these are the cards that I've been dealt, and Dad already died, I said nothing bad can ever hurt me again. And she said, Don't yeah. be so naive. Life life will come back swinging yeah, when you least expect you never it. I do
1: know. I mean, I got hit pretty hard a few times in a row and I was just like, This can 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 this just be over. Like I thought I had my moment of just shitty things happening. But every time it makes you stronger. It does.
0: Absolutely. So I feel in the music industry, I don't have much knowledge as it relates to like the music industry, movie industry, any All that stuff is like so, so foreign to me, but I don't know. Maybe you get this a lot from people who are not in that industry, but like when I think of talent management, I think of entourage. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm just curious. Like you always hear music is very, very cutthroat. Same with TV, movies, anything like that. I mean, the top talent, like really like the A-listers, there's only so many people who are really like top, top talent. For For someone who's like young, out of school or in their early 20s, who's aspiring to be like you, who's aspiring to one day have their own agency, what would be your advice to them? Obviously, you know, you took your dream, you made it into a reality, but it's just like obviously like your business and if you're like a young person, I'm not crazy into movies, but I told I told my dad when I was really young, like, oh, entourage seems like cool. Maybe I'll go into management. And he's like, snap out of it. You're not gonna do anything yeah, in that space. Like you don't even really like that. TV.
1: Yeah. And my biggest advice is find a good mentor and don't have an ego because a lot of the really young people right now have an ego and they think that they're above learning how to like be an assistant and be a really good worker. And like, that's how I learned how to do what I do. Like, that's how I got the confidence. A lot of people right now think they can skip that part. And I think that part is crucial. So My whole thing is like, don't be too big for your britches. Like if you get an amazing opportunity to be an assistant, you get it, you take it and you like run with it and then you create what's next, but do not have an ego about it because no one has time for that stuff anymore. Mm. You'll get canceled out of here real quickly, unless you get really lucky and you like sign something really young and you become really successful at an early age. There are some people that that happens for wasn't me. I was an assistant for five, six years. And so I don't, the like patience for people that are like i just want to skip that part i'm like well that part is like how i personally learned how to like do what i do mm. otherwise i would be an idiot i would have no idea what i was doing <laughs> find a good mentor yeah.
0: you know, absolutely i read that you actually i don't remember where i read it but you were like i'll work for you for free i just want to learn what you do
1: yeah as a music supervisor for entourage actually I was just such a fan of his work. And I've always been a fan of like film and TV and music and all that and soundtracks. And I, I like somehow found him and was like, I need to work for you and I'll work for you for free. Cause I really want to learn from you. I mean, it's about doing whatever it takes. And honestly, those are the people that rise to the top.
0: Yeah. I always tell people, I mean, especially the people who are like just graduated college with COVID I was telling everyone, you know, just go work for free. This is, everyone needs, people are letting people go. So there's obviously opportunity. There's work to be done. I'm
1: telling you, if I meet people and I see how hard they work and I see like the work ethic and the drive early on, I'm like, oh my God, this person's going to kill it. And then I want to help them more, you know? Mm. And then give them a job, you know? So Yeah,
0: absolutely. So you're living your dream today. What do you think your dad would say to you? Oh my God. You know, if he knew about everything that you've accomplished.
1: I wish, I wish he did. He does know. I know he knows, but I think he'd be really proud because I was a bad kid. I would, I did not listen. I was a rebel. I didn't like schoolwork. I didn't like going to school. I didn't like listening to my parents. So I think he would be really proud. <laughs> he'd be really proud and I know he's watching. So
0: mm. we could start to wrap up the show typically like to end this with the same question for all my guests. My podcast is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. So with that being said, what would be your bits of gold on how to build a life you love?
1: How to build a life you love. Find something you'd love to do. Do it. Don't let anything get in the way. Even the hardest things, don't let them get in the way. I mean, even take, take the things you love. And if you do go through hard things, focus on that, that dream of yours and, I mean that's how it worked for me. Like I just threw everything into work. I'm not saying that's healthy, but it's what worked for me. And I just wouldn't stop until I got there. So I need my company Nonstop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's where the name comes from.
1: Yes. Well, and also because I literally don't stop working at all.
0: <laughs> where can our listeners uh, like find you or connect with you if they want to reach out?
1: At Nonstop Management on Instagram at Jemem J E M A I M E on Instagram and Jamie Zalkinlin is my name so you can just find me that way on Facebook or whatever.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for the time Jamie.
1: Thank you so much. This was really special and seriously like being able to talk about this stuff and hopefully helping someone else is um is all I aspire to do. So so thank you for that. Yeah, I, sure. I, it was amazing and you're you're amazing. So.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you I'm so excited. much for uh Opening up so honestly on on the show, I know it's it's uh, we cover topics that aren't so easy to uh, you know discuss. Of course. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jamie Hinlin. If you liked that episode, please take a moment, share it with a friend, inspire them today, send it their way. Subscribe to us, Bits of Gold Podcasts.
1: I love your podcast, this is the gold This is where it's at. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.